0: Hey there, welcome to episode number 353 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me today is Dr. Kelly J. Baker. She was part of my episode with Dr. Tressie McMillan Cottom when we talked about paranormal romance. This time she and I are talking about setting boundaries. Kelly and I are going to talk about the expectations placed upon people, especially women, and the ways groups of people keep one another in line with enforced expectations of behavior and how much shame and shaming play a role in that exercise. We are also talking about emotional labor and how when people, often women, refuse to tolerate unpaid emotional labor and they say no, usually someone who is vulnerable pays a price. It's, it's a whole thing. As I read in Burnout, which we also talk about, it can be a challenge to have empathy and compassion for a person or a group who is trying to push you back in line with their expectations of behavior, knowing that in a lot of ways, they may be driven by internalized misogyny or or patriarchy or just how they've been treated. Those same expectations come in many subtle, damaging messages, and we're going to talk about a whole bunch of them. We're also going to dish on the PTA a lot, and I bet maybe you also have some PTA stories. I would like you to tell me about them, <laughs> or you could just tell me what you think of this episode or give me suggestions. I love hearing from you. You can reach me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com, or you can call and leave a message at 1201 371 3272 Tell me a joke. Tell me about the PTA. Tell me about a time when you set boundaries and Refused to tolerate the expected behavior that someone was enforcing upon you. I want to hear about it, and I love hearing from you. This episode is brought to you by The Second Chance Rancher by Kate Pierce. Spinning off of her popular Morgan Ranch series, New York Times bestselling author Kate Pierce introduces the Millers of Morgantown. It might be the pride of hard work on rugged terrain, the welcoming community, or the memories, But wherever the folks of Morgantown may roam, they have a way of coming back to the ranch. When Jackson Lyman returns from serving in the Air Force, the last thing he expects is to strike up a friendship with Daisy Miller, the girl he always noticed in high school, even though she thought she was invisible. Could they have another shot at Lasso Love? The Second Chance Rancher by Kate Pierce is available wherever books are sold and at kensingtonbooks.com. The transcript for this episode is being brought to you by our Patreon community. If you have supported the show with any pledge at any amount, you are helping make sure that every episode receives a transcript and you're helping keep the show going. If you would like to join the Patreon community, please have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Every contribution makes a deeply, deeply appreciated difference, and I can't tell you how exciting it is to know that someone has had a look at our Patreon page. Thank you so very much for thinking or doing or being part of the community. I have a whole bunch of stuff to tell you about after the episode. I'm going to tell you what music this is. I have a preview of what's coming up on the site, and I have a truly terrible joke. We also talk about a lot of books and a lot of articles, including a really powerful article that Kelly wrote about seeking help when it comes to mental illness. I will have links to all of those things. But before we get started, I want to make sure to make it clear, we talk a lot about Gender expectations, enforced behavior, snarky emails, but we also talk a lot about mental health and getting help, especially in the last third of the episode. Kelly has been very candid about her own efforts and her own progress in seeking mental help with depression and anxiety, and we talk a lot about that as well. If that is a topic that you would find upsetting or distressing, you might want to stop after we start talking about getting help and how difficult it is. In the meantime, on with the interview with Kelly J. Baker.
1: I am Kelly Baker. I am currently the editor of a feminist magazine called Women in Higher Education, and the title pretty much tells you all you need to know about that. Um, I'm also the author of a few different types of books from academic monographs to personal essay. Uh, My latest book is called Final Girl, and it's about mental illness and trauma and coming to terms with survival. So I wear a bunch of different hats. Um, I'm also the parent to two remarkably chatty, um, never-have-a-thought-that-isn't-expressed children. (laughs) Oh, I I have... I have children like that. Um, And, uh, you know, partner. And I have a dog who's recovering from knee surgery. So lots of fun things about me that are all in that one statement.
0: That is a lot to carry.
1: (laughs) It feels like a lot to carry lately.
0: Now, as an academic, you have studied... religion and white supremacy. Is that right? It is
1: right. Yeah. That's what my first book is on is looking at the, the Klan and how they understand religion and nationalism and how they use them both to gain membership and how they have this moment in the twenties where they're super popular. Um, And that's not entirely relevant at all to what's happening now. So, you know, those are separate things.
0: No, I was going to say they're not experiencing a resurgence in popularity in a different set of 20s.
1: Right, a different set of things, yeah. It is one of those things where the Klan has kind of come out of fashion, but um, the white nationalism piece is here to stay for a while longer, unfortunately. Um, And so it's weird as a historian when your work becomes interestingly relevant in the contemporary
0: I'm always fascinated by this idea that when we have this very myopic view of current mm-hmm. events in the media, like this has never I happened know. before. No, this has always been true. Yes, exactly. Like we just have better words and language for it, but this has always been the
1: case. Yeah, I always get the sort of kick out of the people that are like, I had never thought about this before and I had never heard it. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, like I can understand like a certain <laughs> level at which... Um, you know, American history classes in high schools and sometimes in colleges are not great with dealing with things like white supremacist activism. Um, But it is like this really funny thing where it's like, oh, white nationalism is brand new. And I'm just like, oh, excuse me while I like bang my head on the desk for a few hours because this is just, it is, right? You know, it's so much in everything um, that we do. And just to kind of be able to be like, oh, I've just now noticed it is a level of, um, privilege. It's a little bit disturbing to me. And it's always a white guy who's like, I figured it out. <laughs> I know what it is. Like, thank you. We've been talking about this for
0: literally yeah. hundreds of years. Yeah, no, so I know. I heard that happen a lot right
1: where you know, white guys that pop into my mentions on Twitter and are like, I finally think that what you're saying is valid. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, I can go on. Right. Like my life has meaning. because Random Twitter citizen, you have decided um, to comfort me about my life's work and tell me that I actually am doing something important. Yeah. I mean, it is the most kind of ridiculous um Thing that happens there, where I'm always like, "Do you just what? Do you just show up in women's mentions all the time?" And the answer, of course, is yes. Right? Yeah,
0: because they have nothing better to do than to walk around validating women's opinions. Like yeah, that's right. Like,
1: <laughs> it's such a funny image where it's like, "Stamp, we're so glad you're here. <laughs> I have approved you. Aren't you feeling good now? I've approve approved you
0: that you. you have all you need now. I always wonder." Like if you look at women like Ida mm-hmm. B. Wells, who was like, you know what? I'm going to study right. lynching right. up close. I'm going to go into the South as a black woman researcher and I'm going to study lynching because, well, obviously this is a valid thing to do. Imagine her on Twitter.
1: Oh, can you imagine? I know. I think she, oh she would just What would her mentions look like? They would be terrible. I mean, and, oh I, and I only get a, I mean, I get a fraction. Like I have colleagues who are women of color who are working on racism and um, their mentions are routinely a dumpster fire. Um, so mm-hmm. I only get a fraction of what they get, but it's just incredible. Like I have a friend of mine who jokes that like I comment in facts on Twitter. Like I say thing that is a fact and she's like, who knew that facts could be so controversial? Um, because it just I kind know. of blows up in a way that I'm like, wait, I don't, but we know this, like, I'm not saying anything new, um, necessarily. I'm just kind of pointing it out again <laughs> and it just. It's incredible where I'm like, well, I'm just going to shut down Twitter for 72 hours and never look back, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, but yeah, I can't imagine how that would look in any sort of way. Um, Staggering, isn't it? Yeah. So,
0: yes. what we're actually going to be talking about is <laughs> very related, as a matter of fact. Yes. Um, you and I have been casually corresponding about setting boundaries for. Exactly. Since. Since we talked with you and me and uh, Tressie McMillan Mac- Cottom about paranormal romance and, mm-hmm. and the embedded racism of fantasy, um, but since then you and I have been having this ongoing conversation about setting boundaries and yeah. how mind-blowingly easy and difficult it is at the same
1: time. Yes, I mean, it's that magical power of saying no that um that I, I've done this periodically in my life where I'm like, I can say no to things. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I say no for a while. And then what happens is I feel like it's obligation creep. So I'll be really good at saying no for a while. And then someone will be like, oh, but I think you would be perfect for this. And I'm like, oh, sure. And right. then someone else will do it. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And then I look at my schedule and I'm like, what have I done to myself? Oh. Oh.
0: And there's compounded intersecting forms of obligation and expectation. So we're both women. Mm -hmm. We've been socially inculcated to uh, appease and care for everybody. Right. Plus, I know that you are Southern, which comes with a whole other set of expectations. I went to a a Southern women's college and I was the only Yankee for like three years. And I spent many, 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 many days being told about my accent, which I found Uh hilarious because I was actually from Pittsburgh, which has its own regional accent. Um, But the expectation of Southern white female
1: decorum oh, is like it's the worst. That, that's like <laughs> a whole set of encyclopedias if you wrote that all down, right? And well, and it's funny because I've um, this will be shocking to you. I have really tried to work against that, um, which does not what yes. ret- I know. Well, it's one of those things where after about the second or third tattoo, it was kind of clear. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, honey. <laughs> you know, but I was not
1: playing the same kind of game, you know, that they oh, are dear. necessarily yes. playing. Um, and at this point, I have a full sleeve and I have many more tattoos. And um, my daughter, who is 10, friends are like, oh, yeah, the tattooed mom. And I'm like, yep, that's where we are. Um, but it was one of those things where it's just, I mean, it's so encoded and it's so culturally trained, you know, about the sort of politeness piece and about the sort of way that you can be nice while also eviscerating someone, which is kind of an, oh, yes. an incredible thing to, to witness. Um, and oh, yeah. coded language coded language and the sort of expectation, um, of what women's work is versus what men's work. Is. I mean, it's just kind of wild to me. Um, especially as I kind of moved out of it in some ways that I was like, Whoa, like this is a thing that, um, when you're in it, you can't, necessarily recognize the rules <laughs> but yeah. you know, now but oh, yeah. now I interact with these moms at um both of my kids schools that I'm just like oh man oh like I like I can't even care about my hair that many days of the week yeah. like I just can't do it like it's impossible if I want to write oh, yeah. anything my hair cannot look like this <laughs> and I can't always look perfectly put together you know like this is I was like this is an amount of effort that I refuse to sacrifice sleep <laughs> <laughs> or writing time for, like, I just won't do it. But it is that kind of performance, right? Um, of Like, we always yeah. look put together and our lipstick is always on. And, you know, we act in a certain way and we chit chat in certain ways. And there are things that we value and things that we don't. And then you better not be honest about your feelings. <laughs>
0: I remember very clearly being on the phone with one of my very best friends from college who now lives in a small town in South Carolina. And she said, well, I have to go because I have to put on lipstick before I go into the Harris Teeter and I can't talk while I'm putting on lipstick. And I'm like, wait, you have to put on lipstick before you go in the grocery. And she's like, if my mom finds out that I was in Harris Teeter oh, and I didn't have lipstick on, I will hear about it. And I was like, you do you understand how incredibly strange the words coming out of your mouth are? And she says, yes, why do you think I told you? You're the only one who's going to say back to me, now that's weird.
1: Yeah, like this is a strange <laughs> thing right, uh, that's happening here. Yeah, I mean it is this kind of funny piece of that, right? And that, that expectation of performance and the very gendered performance of this and um, you know, and, and it's just one of those where I'm like maybe I'm just going to look like a mess. And and granted, I'm not a mess, right? But but it's just like maybe, compared to these women, <laughs> I am because um, I feel like I always only run into them when I'm like on the second day with a t-shirt and I've like thrown on like jean shorts and I've like struggled to pick up a child from school because there are other things going on. And they're like, yep. Hey, Kelly. And I'm like, Hey, I feel like you have really have right
0: exactly. <laughs> and you have to look perfect, but it has to be effortless because if you step out of line, it's threatening to everyone That's else. Exactly One of my right. favorite things about, um, the book Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski is the ways in which internalized misogyny create an an environment where women keep each other in line because stepping out of line is dangerous to everyone.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's wild. So one of my favorite stories ever is that um, I'm a mom who works and in the neighborhood I'm in, there are lots of working moms, right? Um, There Mm -hmm. just aren't a ton of working moms in the PTO. So this is a few years ago and it was right before spring break. And spring break always coincides with this conference that I have to cover for my magazine. Um this happens every year and so I usually spend like half of spring break at a conference and then half of spring break doing stuff with small children. So um we're sitting yep. around and like everybody's talking about like I'm going to the beach, right, for this many days and we're going to this place and we're going to this place. And someone turns to me and says Kelly what are you doing over spring break and I'm like I'm going to the conference to work and there was like a collective like (gasps) in the room and I was like what just happened but it was like horror upon horrors that I did not have like a perfectly planned vacation for the kids and I was like you know some of us work right like that's a thing
0: that we do to pay mortgages So how have you been setting boundaries for yourself differently Um, in the past few months? We've talked about PTA and email, working, quitting, and being like, fuck all of this. What are some of the powerful boundaries you've set for yourself?
1: Well, one of the first was I decided that I was going to say no to anything that didn't instantly appeal to me. So as you can imagine, I get lots of offers to do things. And often I'm like, oh, it would be nice of me. To do this, right? Like, this would be a nice thing to do. And maybe I should do this. And then what happens is I say yes. And then I get really resentful about it, where I'm like, why did yeah. I agree to do this? I don't actually want to do this. I just did this because people expect me to be a people pleaser because I tend to be. And then I end up in these scenarios because they know this about me. <laughs> now I'm stuck doing the stuff that yeah. I want to do. And so that was like the first rule I decided. I was like, if I'm not instantly like, Yes. yes, I'm going to make this work and this brings me some sort of joy or some sort of um, work opportunity too, right? like if this is going to fit somewhere in with what I want to do, then I'll do it. And so it's amazing. So people would be like, hey, don't you want to come out to my campus for like $5 and like go to three classes and give a lecture? And I'm like, no, I actually don't. And they would be like, okay. And I was like, oh, huh." <laughs> that's kind of neat. So that cut down on a lot of stuff where I was doing this thing because I felt like I needed to or maybe somebody needs help and if someone needs help I feel like I am the person to go to because I'm like let me help you fix it, right? It doesn't take long for people to realize that about you. if yeah. you're that type of person. Um and so I was like I'm I'm not going to do this, right? Like if it doesn't have some advantage to me, which I'm still it sort of settles me, right? Cuz it kind of feels selfish even though I know it's not. Um and then the other thing I did is I decided that the PTO brought me no joy <laughs> because I've been involved with it since my youngest, my oldest was in kindergarten and now she's in fourth grade. And it's so necessary. And so, awful. Oh, I mean like it, I was like, this is important work. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, this is hellish. Right. Like, like <laughs> I am responsible for all kinds of things. No one is ever happy. Right. Like it is impossible for me to do anything to make anyone happy is actually not as much about the kids. No. <laughs> Shocking me <laughs> as I hoped it would be. And so I was no. like, I was like, this is miserable and I hate this. And it is the point where I was teasing my partner that I received a PTO email this week. And I was like, the moment of incandescent rage that I have when they ask <laughs> me for anything means that it was a good thing that I quit all the stuff I did. <laughs> Because they're still asking, right? They're still like, "We need someone to do this, or we need someone to do that." And because I volunteered for a while, they kind of assume that I'm a safe bet. So it's been hard for some of those folks to wrap their head around the fact that I actually don't have to do this free labor. (laughs) Yes, Um, because my like it's like spending a year being a bridesmaid. Oh, oh, I know, right? And no one cares. And um, no, and. The stakes are so low. <laughs> so low. I was like, um, the negativity is so yeah, high. And I was like, the book fair will go on, right? With or without me. Like, it's not going to stop somehow, but I really could deal less with angry parents in my face because they waited until the last day of the book fair to buy the book that their kid wanted. Right. I'm like, how is it's not, I, I work here for free. Why, what? Mm-hmm. Um, or the like level of passive aggressive emails. Oh my gosh, it's amazing! And then I had someone at a, a my last PTO event actually suggest that I was difficult, and I had to really work hard to not like nuke oh them my from God. space. <laughs> oh, you should see my face <laughs> oh, I was right so now! I'm so angry because I was like, I was like, I'm <laughs> one of the few volunteers that showed up for something that doesn't even involve my kids. I'm like, so this is not me being difficult. This is me having an opinion, right. And having boundaries and having boundaries. And, and so that has been sort of wild because I think what I've really learned about this is as soon as you set boundaries, people test them. Right. Um, oh, yes. and so this has been our, my like Jurassic park analogy that I've been rolling on, which is every time like the raptors test the fences, I just crank the electricity up a little bit more, right? So it's like, like I set this boundary and then you come at me and I'm like, oh, now it's like an even firmer boundary, right? Because you've shown me what kind of person you are. Um, And so now I'm even going to be less charitable to the requests that you have because of the way um, you're constantly like coming at me to test me about these things, right? Where it's like, well, she didn't do this. Maybe I can get her to do this, right? Or... Maybe I can be rude to her this way and still get her to do something for me. And I was like, you know what I don't have time for? <laughs> people who are not nice, shockingly, again, um, that's been really interesting to me. In and I mean, it's like a running joke where we're like, just crank it up a little bit more, right? Um, and to kind of make this clear and to be very upfront about the boundaries, too, I think is what I'm learning. So previously, I would kind of let people push me and push me and then I would react. And now I'm just like, this is how this is going to go. <laughs> And I'm not mean about it, right? It's just a very firm, like, this is how we're going to play this. So
0: I I know I told you this, but the PTA in my school system is called the PTSA Parent Teacher Student Association. (laughs) And that's one letter away from PTSD. Yeah, yeah, it is. Every time I see it, I'm like, oh my God, it's the PTSD. Oh, and no, it's PTA. I get really prickly when people waste my time. Oh, isn't it the worst? It's so disrespectful to me. It's still unacceptable to me. Waste someone's time, especially wasting people's time by not being able to make a decision. Oh. And so I remember at our old school system in New Jersey, there were two women who would get involved with PTA things like they would run a thing and I would go up to them and I would say, please do not add me to your email list. Don't tell anyone that I'm volunteering, but I will do anything you want me to do. Tell me when, tell me where I am there and I will do it. And one of them was a restaurant owner. And she's like, can you work the bake sale between five and seven? Like, absolutely. I'll be there. What do you need me to bring? Okay, done. It was like, I could text the conversation Mm -hmm. with her and it was effective. And then when one of them became president, I was like, I will quietly do whatever you need me to do. Just tell me what you need, but please don't get me involved with people who are going to waste my time getting angry about things that I just can't care about.
1: Well, and it's like the email chains from hell. Right. Oh, dear God. Um, And it's like, I, so it's like I go to bed and then I wake up the next morning and I'm like, first of all, it seems these women don't also sleep. Right. Um, and, and it's like this email chain where I'm like, I don't know what is happening, but it doesn't take 32 emails to make a decision about popsicles for an event at the school. Except that it's popsicles for an event at the school. So of
0: course you need 35 different opinions.
1: Right. Where I was like, or I could just go to Costco and solve this right now. Oh um, yeah. Oh yeah. But it's never that kind of level of things or, you know, or it's the like um, the emergency request. This is my favorite, right? Where it's like, it's a PTO emergency. And I'm like, it can't be. Is someone on fire? <laughs> I'm like, because also like we're not responsible for anything. Super emergency worthy, right? Um, and if someone's on fire, you need to call professionals. Like you don't need to be emailing all of us about this. But we had one president who everything was an emergency. It's like use of the word literally. Emergency no longer means emergency now. It doesn't, right? I mean, it's it's where I would get an email from her and I'm like, balloon colors are not an urgent decision. And how did I end up in a world? where I'm getting emails about this. Like, where did I go wrong?
0: And when you look at it through the frame of why do we behave like this? Why is this something that is so common? Like, I guarantee you, people are going to be listening to this going, oh my God, me too. I need to tell you my PTA story. Everyone has PTA <laughs> That's story. Right, everyone. But everyone has some kind of organizational dysfunction story where they're like, yeah, I know this story. And then you look at it through the frame of why do we do this? Why are right. we so... Vicious when someone steps out of line and says, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, what is the threat? Is the threat recognizing that this isn't actually worth this much misery? Because you don't have to be miserable over popsicles and balloons. You really don't. And like, you can just move on.
1: You could easily move on. Yeah. And I think it is that, that kind of expectation. And especially, um, and this might be true more universally, um, but just in my experience, Um, it's that this is an additional burden placed on moms, right? So there are moms that are expected to do the PTO stuff. It's moms who are expected to volunteer in the classroom. And so it's just like this weird way in which the moms that do stay in line are rewarded, right? They're the parents that the teachers love (laughs) and the office staff loves. And, you know, everyone just kind of wants to do this. And I'm like, is that recognition worth it? I don't think so. But then when I'm like, I can't do this, people are like, why can't you do this? You know, what else are you going to do with your time? And I'm like, oh, lots of things, lots of things, you know, like doing nothing, like do nothing, like read a romance novel. And that would be awesome because I'm yeah, not dealing sure. with 32 emails about popsicle.
0: <laughs> my, my favorite PTA story is my friend from New Jersey. She has a lot of experience with organizing and plants. So she was put in charge of the plant sale. And she had two other parents to help her plant sale, three o'clock. She organized all of her contacts. She got a whole new set of plants so that everyone could get something. Even if it was a quarter, they would be able to buy a plant. Plus the plant sale made money Mm -hmm. because people would order baskets for the summer. So they had this massive hanging basket order form, plastered it everywhere. It was a huge, huge success. They did great. Plant sale day comes along and the other two parents are like, oh, it's at three. I can't be there. I have to work. And she's like, what did you think was I have to do this? Okay, fine. Do it by yourself. Roped in a neighbor. They both ran it. It was it was hard. And she was like, I'm not doing this again. Yep. And I'm like, I am I am the, um, the terrible enabler friend. I'm like, no, you should not right. do that again. Do not do that. And keep saying no. If you ever feel like weakening, I want you to text me and I will call you and be like, say no. Repeat after me. Hell right. no. So she wrote up everything she did. She wrote up all the steps. She's like, here is the manual to do what I did. Have fun. And they're like, oh, thank you. Somebody else had volunteered. So the head of the PTA gives that manual to that person who immediately resigns because they were astonished at the work. Yeah, they they're, had like, to no do. And they're like,
1: no way. No way. Right. No way
0: will I do this. They've come back to my friend seven or eight times now. Are you sure? Are you sure you won't do this? You did such a good job, and we really need you. Are you sure that you can't do this? And she's like, I need you to text me to remind me to say no. Oh, I
1: mean, and well, and the guilt involved in this too, right? So I was in charge of the book fair until I dramatically was like, I am out. Like, I cannot do this anymore. Because it was like run a store for two weeks with a volunteer staff. And so it was one of those things where like, I could not get volunteers, so guess who's working the bookstore <laughs> at 2.45 yeah. to 4 o'clock and then rushing to pick up another child, right? And I was like, why am I doing this? And then they're like, but you do such a good job, and who are we going to get? And I finally was like, you know what? It's not my problem, actually. <gasps> no. I know. I, it just it took me a while to get there where I was like, this makes me miserable every time I do it. And I am stressing over a book fair more than i stress over book deadlines for books i am writing and this is ridiculous
0: there is a very old psychological explanation and i cannot remember who said it but it's basically it's the red sock in your load of whites yes if you have one red sock even if it's a baby sock yep it will stain everything before and after uh, all of it um oh I am so proud of myself. Good job Sarah. The person who first wrote about this was a psychologist named Susan Haas. Oh cool. And yeah, it, it, it is the one red sock in your load of whites that will stain everything else around it. You have to have to get rid of it. You just, it,
1: you, you just it have just to get rid of it. It has to go. And yeah, and I mean, it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm done. I'm not doing it any longer. And then they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, still pretty sure. And they're like, but we're having a hard time finding someone to take this job. And I'm like, yeah, I know. It sucks, right? Right? <laughs> this is not a surprise. This is not something that people are going to... I'm like, no one likes you for this. No one. <laughs> What's the reward for having done it? Oh, none. There's no reward. Um, and so that's helped. I've also started deleting emails. That oh, don't- please tell
0: me all about this.
1: Because <laughs> we had the best conversation about how my over... Okay,
0: this is, okay, so here's how much of an asshole I am. You were tweeting about email. Uh-huh. So I emailed you because I'm terrible.
1: But it was perfect because I was like, this is an email from someone who actually wants to have a conversation with me. Compared to the emails from people that just want me to do something for them. Right? For free. For free. And they're never asking me like politely. It's always like a subtle ask where they don't ask a question. So it's very much them baiting me into being like, what do you need? Right. And then they can be like, oh, I need you to do this. And then I'll be okay. And so I've just started deleting them. <laughs> and it's like glorious. Right. Where I'm like, you don't even know me. And you're asking me to do something for free. And you didn't even ask in a nice tone. So done, right? Like, I'll just delete it. And so I started doing that with PTO emails too. And it was even better where they're like, we really need volunteers. And I'm like, delete. We really need this. Delete, right? And I was like, oh, this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. Because, (laughs) Because why would I subject myself to this? And as you can imagine, um... If you're a woman writer who has any kind of profile, oh, people, tell me about it. people want you to do things for them. And oftentimes it's white guys who are like, I need you to read this piece for me before I send it out to an editor. And I'm like, who are you, random person who just emailed someone you don't know? To demand work. And so it used to bother me where For I was like, time. I was like, maybe I should be helpful. And finally, my partner is like, why are you doing this? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, he's like, I would just delete that shit. And I'm like, of course you would. <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, it's that like that socialization where I'm like, oh, I should help, right? That's what we're supposed to do is bring people up with us.
0: Then I worry about my tone. Mm-hmm. How do I sound in this email? Am I using enough exclamation points? Do I sound friendly? Mm-hmm. I have this great thing on my um, Google Chrome. It's called Momentum Dash. Okay. And it's always a beautiful picture. And then there's a quote at the bottom. Okay. So if I open a new tab, I have this beautiful picture. And then a quote that changes every day. Yesterday's was from Peter Drucker. There is nothing so useless as doing efficiently that which should not be done at all. Oh, it's perfect. Oh, it's right? perfect. It is. That's Plus the idea that, and I can't remember where I got this from, but it really changed the way. Seriously, setting boundaries is so much about reframing how you see expectations and obligations. But the idea that it is the job of the email to convince me that a response is required. If, if, Uh If it hasn't convinced me that I need to respond, then I can delete it. And I'm like, wait, whoa, I have the option to just not answer.
1: Right. And I think that's the, the interesting piece for me is that I do this on Twitter too, is that I'll have people like roll up in my mentions you know, yes. with a question or with a request. And I just decided like, I don't have to respond. Yeah. And it's amazing. And, and like, it, and, and logically I know this, right? Like I know that not everything requires a response and that this is something I shouldn't pay attention to. But I think emotionally, it took me a longer to get there, where I didn't feel guilty or feel like I should be doing something, or again agonizing over well, what will people think of me if I don't do this. And I'm like, how much effort do they put into this? This is a tweet, <laughs> right? If they're going to judge me based on this. They were going to judge me anyway. Like it's just not worth my time. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe.
0: Okay. So this is a half baked thought I just had. Maybe every time you refuse to answer, you're taking away one of their validation stamps. Oh, that would be
1: perfect. I like that even better. That would be great. Yeah. I'm like, I'll park wherever I want. I don't need you to tell me. (laughs) I'm removing your validation. I'm removing it right now because I don't need it. Um, And so that's been great for me to just kind of take that approach to email to be like, no, I'm not going to do it. And and I mean, and it's interesting to you as a editor of a magazine, I get a lot of, um, I get a lot of email, right? Some of it worthwhile, some of it not. And it used to be the case that I would really agonize where I'd be like, Oh, maybe I should respond to this random man who sent his poetry to my magazine that doesn't print poetry. And now I'm like, I'm just going to put you in a file of interesting collections that I have and, and oh, just dude. move along. Right. <laughs> I like, can just, just move along in some sort of way. Um, Because I was like, I don't actually have to respond to that because it's so beyond the parameters of anything that's happening here. If if somebody sends you
0: things that don't fit, you don't have to respond and tell them that it doesn't fit because they were supposed to figure that out on their own.
1: We maybe should go to the submissions page.
0: We've already given you this information. Like I don't cover poetry. So why? Poetry. Another thing that we talked about over email is readjusting your expectations about your own work, that your job is not an actual emergency. So you don't need to work all the time and be on call, which was a hell of a realization for me when I had that about myself.
1: I think it's so hard, especially when, so I work from home, right? And, And so it makes it super tempting to just leave my kids in front of whatever terrible Netflix show they have now found that are subjecting on me and just creep (laughs) in my office and write or creep in my office to edit something. Um, Because I'm like, Oh, it's just right there. Right. And I can hear them and the coffee's nearby. Um, And so I've had to work really hard um, to be like, I have hours, right? Like I have hours of operation. Um, Generally they're not editing emergencies. (laughs) No. I wrote a
0: website about romance novels and I really had to readjust myself. Like what is an actual emergency? And I actually have said out loud, this is romance novels. This is not life and death. No one is, there are no arterial blood spray involved in this. Exactly.
1: They're like, kind of, we need a decision right now, do we lose the paddles or not? And I'm like, that's never going to happen to me. Right. Like partially because as soon as someone asked that question, I would just pass out. Right. Like I couldn't handle the pressure of um, doing that sort of thing, which is why I'm a writer and not, A medical doctor Um, (laughs) (laughs) there's a reason for this Um, my daughter the other day was like mom would you like to climb Mount Everest or would you like to read about climbing Mount Everest and I'm like what do you think my answer is going to be and she's like you would just read the book about it and I'm like you're entirely right that's true that's a true statement um I'm like because that sounds terrible and terrifying and awful and why would you do that to yourself um but it is, it is that kind of, again, it's that like, oh, I'm at home and I can do this and I can do this anytime. And so I set kind of working hours. And I also realized that with two small kids, things just go awry, right? Like oh, the yeah. way in which, um, you know, I had one sick, homesick last week for like one malady and then one homesick this week for malady and it's only Wednesday. And so it was just one of those things where I'm like, you know what? Editing an article can actually wait till this child feels better, Um, which has done like miracles for my sanity, because it used to be the case that they would be homesick and I'd be like, oh gosh, I'm behind, right? Like I'm behind and I'm never going to catch up. And I always catch up, right? Like it's a silly kind of sentiment to have, Um, but to just kind of know that my schedule, um, that I'm in this very privileged position that my schedule is a lot more flexible than other people's and that I should understand that and not be stressed about it but also yeah. not let work overtake that time then. Um, which, I mean, it took me a while to come around to that in a certain way. Yeah. Um, because I'm like, it's so easy. It's just right there. I can see the laptop.
0: And if you're not doing something, you could be
1: working. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. And that and stuff. That's the, not actually
0: good for your creative
1: brain. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's, I mean, and I think that's the hard piece um, for me. Yeah. If I'm like, because I'm one of those, like, um, I'm working very hard to not be this person anymore, but to be like, if I'm not producing, right. Like then I'm not doing anything. And I've had to like constantly remind myself that part of doing writing is that you have to let your brain work through this stuff.
0: Oh yeah. You got, you got to put it in the crock pot in the back of your
1: brain. And then, you know, like sometimes the next day you wake up and you're like, Oh, I figured this out. And then sometimes it's like two weeks later. And then you're like, Oh, it took me this long, Right. Um, and so and so that's been interesting for me, too, to just say, like, maybe I put unnecessary pressure on myself to do all of the things and I could not. And, um, and that's been amazing to be like, oh, I'm the one pressuring myself to do PTO. Now, there are cultural pressures right about this, um, but I'm the one pressuring myself to do all of this writing all the time. Oh, like maybe I could step back a little bit and reframe that and um and so yeah, it's it's been good. Um but it's also been a lot of my like therapist being like cut it out. <laughs> and also her really thoughtfully kind of poking and prodding me to be like why do you do this? And yeah. you know, and and to think really hard about like why are you doing it because it's not good for you. So maybe you shouldn't. And then I wanted to argue with her, which I think you're not supposed to do with your therapist where I'm like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. Everything's fine. And of course she then looked at me like the therapist glare, and I was like, okay, maybe you have a point. I'll concede it a little bit. And <laughs> you know, I'll learn how to be a well-adjusted person. if you're gonna force my hand, uh, you actually wrote recently about how difficult it is to ask for help
0: when you're having a mental health crisis. Yeah. By the way, that that article was really, really powerful. Oh,
1: thank well you. Well
0: done. Uh, I know I, I have a sense of what it costs to write something like that. And it was really, really good. Yeah, it
1: was rough. Um, I mean, and I had this moment of like abject terror before it went live where yeah. I was like, my life is over. And um, my partner is like, I doubt it. Like I doubt 900 words. You know, means that your life will be over, and um, like, fine, fine, um. But just where I was like, oh, this is like a super honest piece about like what bad shape I was in when I finally decided that I would call my doctor, um, and and that I had known that I was in bad shape for months, right? Like that I had known that this was a problem, and that I just couldn't make myself do it, um, out of this concern that like maybe I could just power through, right? Um, depression yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah, but, but again, my coping mechanisms are just as effective
0: as they were before they I'm not any different right. like, yeah. I should be able to handle this I should be able to do right. this I should be able to do this on my own and, yeah. and I was yep. just
1: like I could yep. just power through it like I power through things all the time right and that's the same language. That's the
0: same language that PTA uses. I just realized yeah. like all of these, expectations, you should be able to do this and the other things and this extra yeah. thing and this other thing. You should be able to do this without breaking. a sweat. Right. And, and,
1: and that it like, should make you look like you're doing it. So again, that like effortlessly part of it, right. Is that, um, and, and I can remember very vividly, there was a moment when I was in this deep depression and I had a book out and I was just like, I can't even bring myself to promote it. Right. Cause I'm convinced it's terrible. It was not terrible. Um, But, um, convinced it was terrible. And I had all these people who were like contacting me and they're like, you have it all together. You have a new book out. Like, you know, you're like, like Uh, you're a shining example to us of like what we can do. And like, it was just this weird thing, right. That happens when you have books out and you're doing this kind of stuff. But it was all these people that just sort of assumed I was good. Right. Like that because the public facade looked good. Right. So I could like, scroll through Twitter on my bed and like say cheerful things in a tweet, right? Like that somehow I was okay. And I can remember very vividly tweeting at one point. um, And I think this is the start of me really thinking through this and saying like, I I need to do something about this is that I'm like, you know, those of us that seem like we have it together often don't. Right. Like just, just, you know, keep in mind that that's something that's happening. And, um, but I tweeted that and like, February and that I didn't go to my doctor until May, right? Uh, That it took that long for me to be like, okay, I can do this, right? It's one thing to tell Twitter. It's another thing to actually pick up the phone. And then fight with my doctor's nurse about whether it was actually an emergency or not, right? Oh, that's when I
0: I read that. uh, I was like, I've been there and I'm infuriated uh, on your behalf.
1: It was just the worst, right? Call and say, I need a mental health appointment. And they're like, we can do that in six weeks. And I was like, no, "No, you can't actually. Like, you can't do this in six weeks because I'm really worried about what will happen in six weeks." Um, And so, yeah, yeah, I mean, so I had to. I mean, it took like five phone calls before, and it was the nurse yeah. gatekeeping. Like, once I met with my doctor, she was like, "Oh shit." I mean, this she wouldn't say that because she's remarkably cheerful and probably doesn't use swear words. But you know, she was like, right. "Okay, like this is this is serious, and we're going to take it very seriously." and this is our plan, right? I mean, she was just amazing. But it was the kind of gatekeeping and the way that the nurse just didn't take mental health seriously. Did you tell the doctor about that experience? No, I did, actually. I was like, you know, it took a while. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, that shouldn't have happened. But I mean, she was pretty clear about like, this is not, this is not acceptable. And um, she got major bonus points from me for being able do that um but then i had to find a psychiatrist which is the worst so i spent no lie two weeks calling like every other day until i finally got someone on the phone and then luckily they had a cancellation and then they told me that i needed a therapist but all their therapists were way overbooked so good luck and luckily for me i found a wonderful therapist who specializes in um specialized working with women. She particularly specializes in working with women that have been through abuse, um, women who deal with narcissists. Um, she's really good at talking about trauma and doing this sort of stuff. And she's also just kind of genuinely a badass, right? Like that she's just yep. just kind of amazing. And so it worked out um, to get there. And she was the only one that I called, and then I had a call back two hours later, where wow. she's like, "You sound like you need help. Here's what I have. Can you come in?" And I mean, and just immediately um but it was just remarkably wow. terrible because I'm like I can't even get out of bed right like I can barely get out yep. of bed and then I'm cheerful for my kids and then I managed yep. to get work done but I'm pretty much like sitting on the bed and my couch and I'd stopped going to lunch with friends I had stopped texting right I just kind of stopped reaching out and I was like and then it's difficult like that's even worse in some sort of way that um that you made it impossible for me to get help that I needed right um Oh, yeah. Uh, and luckily I have insurance, <laughs> right? Like the other piece of it is I can actually, I have insurance that will cover this in some sort of way.
0: Being in a position where you need help, that is an incredibly intimate process, mm-hmm. that is incredibly important connection. Like you have to be able to connect with the person that you're going to do this work with because this is yep. hard. And then feeling like you don't really have a choice based on what's available, what's nearby and what's covered. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it, and it was just—I mean, it was one of those where I was lucky that she covered my insurance, right? And now we have new insurance, and it's not covered. But she has a non-insurance fee, right? Because she's a yep. decent human being. But it's still not cheap, right? And, you know, I've been working with her since May. So we've been doing this a year. And I finally graduated from going every two weeks from every one week. So I'm very proud of that. Way to go. Yeah. No, I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm getting an A in therapy. And she's like, Kelly. And I'm like, I know, I know. We don't always need A's. It's good. Like, I'm working on it. (laughs) Because she, I mean, at this point, she kind of knows, right, that this is who she's dealing with and, um. Yeah, over overachievers were lots of fun, <laughs> um, but it is one of those things where it took that long, right, for me to get out of this place that was really bad, and, you know, it took a while for the medicine that I was on to work. That was so hard. It's so frustrating, um, and then I fired my psychiatrist after he told me that maybe I didn't need to increase the dosage of my medicine. Maybe it was just my period over the last two weeks. What? Um, yeah, or it was bad. Get yeah. the hell out of here. And I was like, Well, we're done here, right? Like, I'm done with you forever. And that's good. Do you think that do you think
0: that setting boundaries professionally and personally helped you recognize, yeah, no, I'm out of here?
1: Yeah, it did. I mean, it was one of those where he said that and I was like, Oh, you're fired." I mean, I didn't say it to him, right? It's because I needed the prescription. But then I instantly was like, Well, um, your office is done. And I called my primary care doctor and I was like, I want you to take over. Because we've sort of figured this out. And she's like, no problem, right? And she's a delightful woman who would not have said that to me. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that feeling of, oh, yeah, we're done here. Oh, no, yeah. And, and I've discovered that I'm as you can maybe imagine, Sarah, I've gotten much better at the like, Oh, no, we're done. Like, I feel like that has been the strong suit since January, where I'm like, Oh, I'm not doing any of this nonsense. Like, I'm just gonna walk right out of that room. And I'm good. I know a
0: lot of people online, especially um, bloggers and people who have a lot of online presence, talk about picking a word for the year and mm-hmm. picking a, a like a, a guiding concept for their year at the beginning of the year. And I always thought this was kind of hokey. And then I realized that last year I was routinely writing down variations of the of the word opt out, which is actually two words. I opt out, I am opting out of this, yeah. I am opting out of that drama, I am opting out of this obligation, I am opting out.
1: Yeah, I think in January I was like, my word for the year is Boundaries, right? Like we should just be really upfront about this. What advice would you have for someone who
0: will be listening and might want to set firmer boundaries for themselves? Like if you could look back and give yourself from a year or two ago advice,
1: what would you say? So the Shonda Rhimes in her Year of Yes has this great sentence where she says, where she's like, "You have to learn how to say um, yes to no." So that one of the things that she talks about is that you have to get really good at saying no and meaning it because you, you kind of have a sense of what your values are, right? And what matters to you in some sort of way. Um, and I wish I could, had kind of reckoned with that earlier on, right? That I can actually say no. <laughs> and it's not necessarily a negative thing. It's just yeah. me saying, this is not particularly what I care about right now. And that's fine, right? Like, that's enough. And, and to be okay with that. Um, the other thing I liked is I read um, uh, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, which was beautiful. And um, yeah. one of the things that she talks about in particular is that, like, the number of fucks that we have are limited. So we have to be really clear on yep. which ones we care about and what we can kind of let go of. And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do this, right? Like, what am I not going to care about? And what do I care about deeply and should be sort of a priority to me? And so that book really helped me think through, like, yeah, there are things that I really do care about that I'm not spending time on because I'm getting sucked into all this other stuff that I don't care about, right? So maybe I should do the stuff I care about. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and and, and let like go of the resentment after I've done, you know, these things that I don't. And I think that was um, that was very helpful, too. So those two pieces, I think, are just so useful just to start, right? To have a list of the things that you give a fuck about, right? Like a 10-point list, right? Like what matters here? And then just kind of start to shed off some of the other stuff. And, and it's really helpful to me because I find myself doing it even now where I'm like, am I going to give a fuck about that? And I'm like, maybe I won't. <laughs>
0: And, and the energy is a finite resource. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what books have you read other than the life changing magic of not giving a fuck and the year of yes that you would want to tell people about?
1: So I love, and it's not a traditional self-help book, but, um, Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed um, is one of my favorites. And this is where she was an advice column for The Rumpus called Beer Sugar. And she wrote these like remarkable essays and answered these questions. But when I was first starting to think about like how to prioritize and how to do things and how to really think about the kind of life that I wanted to live, right? And the kind of person that I wanted to be, I felt like that book was super helpful in helping me like grapple with all the like hard shit that we just deal with, right? Like it's just, it's hard to human, right? And there are lots of things that are beyond our control and lots of things that happen to us. And I found that book to be just kind of magical in a certain way as I um, was moving through it. And so I thought that was really good. I got on a Marie Kondo kick and I can't recommend that to people, but now I feel like I can have control over my environment in a really dangerous way. So I might have to hide that book. (laughs) Um, (laughs) <laughs> Where I'm like, everyone should fold like this, and uh, my family is like, What now? <laughs> um, so <laughs> so that um and and so those are the few that I would um kind of pay attention to. I've done some of the brene Brown, you know, some of her collection, which sometimes speak to me and sometimes don't um but I do like her emphasis on, um as you can tell in that essay that I wrote about um depression and mental illness and getting help that there's something about the importance of vulnerability and being able to be vulnerable with other human beings um, that I find to be really life-changing. And as someone who liked to fake having it together for a really long time, the ability to now be like, yeah, I'm in therapy. Right. And then I talk to people when I go places now I'm not just doing this to random strangers, right? right. Like I'm not on the street corner shouting therapy in some sort of way. Um, but you know, <laughs> I talked to friends of mine and then I realized like that we were holding these shields up, right? Uh-huh. Where because I acted like I had it together, they had to feel like they had to act, have it together. And now we're having these like remarkably meaningful conversations where they can be vulnerable and I can be vulnerable, and it makes for better friendships and more authentic ones. Um and so I think that's one of the coolest things about this for me, too, is that I've been like, oh, I don't always have to seem like I know what I'm doing. Um, you know, sometimes people appreciate to know that I'm a hot mess, <laughs> just like they are, right? like they that, that we can do this kind of messiness together and then help each other sort out to what's happening. And, and I think that's kind of a superpower almost, which is really cool.
0: And that brings us to the end of our episode. I want to thank Kelly Baker for hanging out with me and for all of the email messages that she and I have exchanged, trading books and advice and quotes that we've discovered. I will have links to her website, kellyjbaker.com, and to her Twitter handle. And, of course, I will have links to her books, including her latest book, Final Girl, and other essays on grief, trauma, and mental illness. I will also, of course, link to some of the books that she mentioned and some of the websites we talked about as well. You know I'm going to link everything, right? Of course. This episode was brought to you today by The Second Chance Rancher by Kate Pierce. Spinning off her popular Morgan Ranch series, New York Times bestselling author Kate Pierce introduces the Millers of Morgantown. It might be the pride of hard work on rugged terrain, the welcoming community, or the memories, but wherever the folks of Morgantown may roam, they have a way of coming back to the ranch. When Jackson Lyman returns from serving in the Air Force, the last thing he expects is to strike up a friendship with Daisy Miller, the girl he always noticed in high school, even though she thought she was invisible. Could they ever have another shot at Lasso Love? The Second Chance Rancher by Kate Pierce is available now wherever books are sold and at kensingtonbooks.com. The transcript for this episode is being brought to you by the Patreon community. Thank you to everyone who has pledged and made a monthly commitment to support the show. It helps me transcribe every episode so that everyone is accessible. If you'd like to have a look and join our community, we have pledge goals, we have patron goals, and we have different pledge levels. One dollar a month, every dollar, every dollar is deeply appreciated. Have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. The music you are listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. This is called Rivertown. The artist is Michelle Sell from her album Secret Harbor. Now, according to Sassy, Michelle Sell is a San Francisco-based harpist who has not released new music recently, but has beautiful older music. Sassy says that this is one of her favorite songs to write to. Quote, when I need to write a moment where the character does some serious alone time self-analysis, this song tops my playlist. You can find her music on iTunes. And if you're in California and you dream of a harp at your wedding, Michelle takes bookings. You can find out more on the website in the show notes at smartbitches slash podcast. Speaking of the website, there totally is one. Coming up this week, it is the start of a new month. So we are going to talk about hiding your wallet because we're going to talk about all the books we want to buy and we all want to get our hands on as soon as possible. And there's so many. Holy smokes. We also have a new review of some highly anticipated books, including a certain Pride and Prejudice adaptation. We have Cover Awe, A Bachelorette Recap, Books on Sale, and Help a Bitch Out. Thank you for hanging out with us and for being part of our community. And now it's time for a terrible joke. I know you love these terrible jokes. I love this one. This is is so bad. I love it. Why is Peter Pan always flying? give up why is peter man peter P- peter man P- peter pan why is peter pan always flying because he never lands <laughs> he's so dumb <laughs> i love the ones that are like really obvious once you say it out loud and you're just kind of like oh yeah yeah thank you to ann the bomb on reddit for that terrible dad joke as always Everything we talked about will be in the show notes. And if you ever have questions, suggestions, or ideas, you can always email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. On behalf of everyone who is in my room, all of the cats who are snoring and I've had to adjust the microphone accordingly, and of course, Kelly J. Baker, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. We'll see you back here next week.